and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Sam Winch, I am so excited to be sharing your story and having you as a guest on She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, my, my absolute pleasure as well. Okay, so let's tell everybody what you're doing now. Do you want to start off with what your business is? Hi, I'm Sam Winch, the course creator, not the lunchtime food. And <laughs> I look, if I have a stupid name, I may as well make the most of it, hey. And you um, do it so well. <laughs> <laughs> and I build online courses, which, uh, funnily enough, at the moment, it's pretty popular because we had this weird pandemic-y thing and no one could do face-to-face stuff. So that worked really well for me. But yeah, most of my work is done for you course building. So I work with busy wow. service providers, normally women like yourselves who have this head full of knowledge and stuff and want to share it with their audience, <laughs> but are normally too busy to do all of the stuff themselves or have learned across the years that they just don't want to be doing all of the stuff themselves. No. And, and when you've got an expert on tap like you, I mean, I didn't even know that that was possible. So I was so excited when I first heard about you, which I have to do a shout out for the fabulous Amanda Thompson who introduced us. So talk to me about why you set it up. Was there a bit of a light bulb moment? Was there a reason why you decided to go down this route? No. And funnily enough, I wrote a chapter for a book um, which came out just recently, a couple of weeks ago, which is called um, I'm Not Out to Change the World, or that's what my chapter was called. And um, it was about the fact that I actually ended up here completely accidentally. I didn't, you know, some people have these grand plans are like, I want to help a million women or I want to end world hunger. Or I want to do all these wonderful things. And that's cool. And yeah. I wish I had one of those. I really do. But like everything I swear up until this point has been kind of an accident. Um, I worked long hours in retail and I didn't want to do that anymore. So I quit and I accidentally got a job in training and then I worked my way up in that, but I found myself managing and then I was back where I was and I was working long hours in the city. And so I quit and I started consulting on the side and then I started building courses and then this pandemic thing came along. So all of my courses were online, not offline. So like everything like kind of just, just serendipity. Yeah. It's all just, yeah. I feel a little bit like that with She's the Boss. So I completely understand it. Right. Well, let's go right back. You've just given us the, the two minute version. Now I want the half hour version <laughs> <laughs> about your life. So where did you grow up? Because I'm sensing there's an English accent there. There is. Um, Good pick up. And what kind of a family did you grow up in? Yeah, so I was born in the UK, you're right. Some people pick it up straight away and others don't <laughs> hear it for years. Um, right. So I, I'm really average, Jules. I'm really boring, <laughs> hey, like just middle Everybody's, class, ev- white, every, suburban every family. Every says that. And <laughs> then it isn't. I know, but suburban in one, you know, straight away. So you grew up in the suburbs of where? Uh, we moved around a bit. So I was born in Kent, which is um, to the east down of south. London. Yeah, down oh, south. Yep. Um, we moved to the Midlands up in Buckinghamshire where I did most of my primary school years and then we moved down south to the south coast to Dorset where I did so my what, high school years. why all the moving around? What did um, your dad or mum do? My dad gets a seven-year itch. Like he gets to about <laughs> seven years and then he goes, hmm, we could move somewhere. So, Oh, um, I love him. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And then that – so once I was – I think I was 16 and that seven-year itch was to Australia and that's how we ended up here. Um, oh, so the whole family came over. Yep, whole family, mum, dad. I've got two brothers as well, so the whole family moved on out. And any and then, family in any family here to – why Australia? 
Yeah, so I've got extended family over in WA. Um, my auntie, uncle, cousins all right. over there. And I think it's one of those things that dad had always said, one one year, one year we'll move to Australia like my brother did. And then one year came and we did move to Australia like his brother did. So. Right. And did you go to Perth first? No, we didn't. Um, we'd visited a couple of times in over the years um, yeah. as kids for family events and weddings and things. But no, there just wasn't the work for dad over there. So he'd come out um, for a couple of weeks to do interviews and stuff. And he found work over um, over here in Brisbane. So that's where we moved was just to Queensland. Right. And what did your dad and mum do? Uh, good question. So mum looked after us and then um, I always remember mum worked really hard on the side. Mum would fill um, supermarket shelves in the evenings once dad got home from work or the babysitter oh, wow. would arrive and mum would fill shelves. So mum worked really, really hard, but she gave up her career in banking to look after the kids and then to do that. Um, dad was oh. an in insurance auditor um, and then went into property adjusting. So that's sort of looking at insurance cases once something has happened and working out what's been lost and what hasn't um, and loss adjusting. And then he went into sort of sales and marketing for that division. And that's how he moved out here was to fix up a company out here who was doing that sort of thing. Cool. And and what age were you at that stage? So I was 16 when we moved to Australia. Right. And so did you, did you, you must've come back to school here then, did you? Yeah. So I finished half of grade 11 and grade 12 (laughs) here. Yeah. So I just finished my GCSEs in the UK and I moved here and did half of grade 11 and grade 12. And it's a big cultural shift. It sure is. I mean, I did it in year seven and came halfway through year seven and still remember that it was a bit of a shift. And I did move schools in year 12. Yeah. And it's hard being the new girl when everyone has known each other for five or six years. Yeah. And I did really feel that through my young adult years because I had left all of my sort of lifelong childhood friends in the UK and I'd come and done about a year and a half of school here. Um, And then, I mean, other things happened as well. And I had kids young, so that immediately changes the dynamic between friends that you had. But, um, yeah, I did feel that there was that real gap where people had had friends from primary school and high school and I didn't have that support here. Um, Yeah, I I integrated pretty well. I found a lovely little group of friends who supported me through my school years. But um, it was a really big push as well because at that point Queensland was doing um, QCS and you had to have a certain number of points available to get a QCS score at the end of grade 12 to go into uni. Right. Um, and because I'd arrived halfway through 11, I could only just get enough credits to get the points to get my QCS oh. and to get in. So I had to do like every single little thing I did from that day I arrived onwards counted towards my end of my high school grade because otherwise right. I wouldn't have enough work to count for the, the QCS score. So it was all or nothing wow. from the moment I arrived. So you went right through to year 12. What did you decide to do then? You've alluded to having kids young, but I don't know how young. So what did you do when you left school? (laughs) So I had no idea what I wanted to do when I left school. Um, I still, even to this day, I think my dad says he doesn't know what he wants to do when he grows up Um, and he's in his mid sixties now. So possibly I'm quite like my dad. Um, I didn't know. I had no idea. I'd toyed with the idea of maybe doing, being a high school teacher, um, which is interesting because I ended up kind of in teaching and and content development. kind of did. Um, But, I'd always loved the sciences as well. I'm a real maths and science girl, love the numbers, love the stats. And so I decided to go to uni and do a dual degree of um, science and environmental planning. And so oh, that's, okay. yeah, which is nothing to do with what I do now. Um, and I no, got about but, 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 half- Which is a great insight, can I just say, for anyone who's listening, <laughs> because a lot of us go off and do uni degrees that don't have any relevance to what we've done later either. That's so, you so know, true. All those girls who don't go to uni and feel- and you meet a lot of women who don't go to uni and feel like, oh, but I didn't, you know, I didn't do it. And it's like, it doesn't make any difference. A no. lot of people do it and do nothing with it anyway. That's a really interesting point because most of the entrepreneurial women I know are doing something now that has nothing, nothing. to do with the field they studied in. <laughs> exactly. Nothing. 
Yeah. Okay, so you started with doing your course in that. Did you complete it? No. I got halfway through the first semester and went, I can't be bothered. Um, <laughs> which is Sad. which is actually right. not like me as a person. Um, I'm not normally a I can't be bothered person. I, I stick with things and I get results. But it wasn't so much I can't be bothered as I don't think this is right for me and I need to change it before yeah, it gets it was, too. It was more I couldn't see the point. Um, yeah. It, you know, it just seemed pointless. It was, I knew, I knew pretty early on. I was like, this is not the right fit for me. Why am right. I doing this? Like, sure, I could stick it out, but I don't want to do this. Um, and it, it took going there though and starting it to know that it wasn't right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so did you swap to another course or did no, you drop out? I just dropped so out. So what did you do next? Um, I worked. So I had a casual job working in Kmart, good old Kmart. And what I found yep, was- we love Kmart. Yeah, good old Kmart. <laughs> um, what I found was I'd be like driving to uni in the morning and I'd get a call from the boss because someone had cancelled their casual shift and they desperately needed a worker. And so I kept a uniform in the boot of my car at all times and I'd change direction <laughs> and I'd start driving to work instead of driving to uni. And after right. I'd done that a couple of weeks, I was like, this is silly. Like I may yeah. as well just work. What's the point? Um, okay. So talk to me about a Kmart career. Yeah. So I just, I just embraced everything. And I think there's probably a pattern of that in my life is if I'm doing something, I normally throw myself all in and I go, well, I'm right. here, so I may as well do it. Well, right. I may as well just throw myself yeah, in. I love that. I love that. <laughs> so how do you do well at Kmart? What were you doing? So you take on everything. If anyone right. says something, you say yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which gets you, you into trouble like later in life. the ideal employee. <laughs> yeah. So that's right. They're like, can you do this shift? Yes. Can you learn this job skill? Yes. Can you learn to do customer service counter? Yes. Can you learn wow. to do the mini lab? Yes. Can you learn to mix paint? This is the good old days when they had a paint department and they used to mix paint. Yes. Right. I'll do that. <laughs> so you say yes. Can you work on the weekend? Yes. Can you <laughs> like you just and say so yes. where does that get you after how, how long were you there for um all up I started at 17 and I left at 24 and by the time wow. I left I was a general merchandising manager in charge of um millions of dollars worth of turnover for my half of the store um but wow. it happened pretty quick so by the time I was 18 19. By the time I was 19, I was customer service manager. So I have a team of 50 and I was in charge of all of the front end Whoa, registers. Hang on. Hang on. One store has 50 customer service people in it. All up. Yeah. So casual roster for, I'm not now because they've changed it. They've got self-service yeah. checkouts now and all okay. that sort of stuff. And it doesn't work the same way. But back in the old days, you know, had yeah. this huge bank of checkouts. <laughs> I feel very old sometimes. I say back in the old days. I just days. want everyone to know you look about 15. I know you're not, but no. <laughs> it's ironic to hear you talking about back in the old days. Back in the old right days. Right here, the Massive team. That is huge yeah, by the age Yeah, so we of- had about 20 permanent team members on sort of rotating rosters, like nine till twos and two till sevens. And we were doing extended trade even back then. So we'd have 9 p.m. Thursdays and Saturdays and Sundays. And so then we had a suite of about 30 casual kids on call to do rotating shifts across weekends and weekends. And, well, and did you love that? Trade. Did you love managing the people? No. Um- <laughs> <laughs> Right. I so liked what- the challenge. I've always liked a challenge. Um, I did like the challenge, but I didn't like the drama that comes with it. And I still don't. I don't buy into drama. I don't have time so in my life. what kind of drama do you get? Just the infighting with people thing. like such and right. such doesn't like such and such. And they won't work on the same shift together. And they don't like that. Oh, right. I, yeah. You, Jules rolled her eyes <laughs> for those of you who can't see the camera either. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> there was an incredible eye roll there. Um, yeah, I'm the same, right? I just was like, I just don't be so petty. I don't have the time for the pettiness. Like, no. I don't care who doesn't like who and who doesn't work on the same shift as someone else or like. 
just kind just of bothered. get over it. Yeah, exactly. So, so what made you leave at 24? Um, so, so I did customer service for a while and then I got a management training position and I did a couple of new store builds and then um, wow. I was a merchandising manager. But by that point then I was married and had two kids. So okay, can we just go back to that? Cause not a lot yes. of people get married and have two kids by the time they're 24. So how did that all happen? Who, how did you meet your partner? At work. Your husband. Yeah. So at he work. worked at Kmart too. Um, right. I'd, if you ever talk to my friend Jackie, who I still know, call her like my second mum. She yeah. was my one of my first managers there. Um, I'd been in a long, long term. Not, it's not long term. I was a teenager. I'd been in a one yeah. year relationship with a lad and I'd broken right. up. And you know, when you're like 16, 17 and everything's the end of the world and it's all tears and dreary mascara. And <laughs> I'll never meet anyone yeah, again. <laughs> my life is over. I loved yeah. him with all my, yeah. Okay. So I was in that position. And then um, right. there was this older guy who's about 10 years older than me. He was working in the sound and vision department and we started flirting. And then <laughs> my boss at the time, Jackie, she's like, Sam, nothing serious. <laughs> You just got out of it. Take a breath. So, of course, I married him, didn't I? Within six weeks, we'd moved in together. Within six Stop months, it. we were engaged. <laughs> and then wow. a year and a half later, we were married. So, yeah, that worked. Right. Um, long term. So, that's growing up fast. Yeah. Long term, though, it didn't work. We divorced. So, um, maybe she knew all along. Right. So, so yeah, and then you had two babies in quick succession. Yeah. So, two babies. I had a baby at 21 and a baby at 22. Um, Gosh. And so by the time I was, yeah, so by the time I was 24, I was working um, 60 hours a week on a sort of extended trade roster. So late night trades, weekends, Saturdays, Sundays. How how are you doing that? Did you move back with your parents? Who was looking after the the babies? No, hubby and I both worked rotating rosters. So it would either, yeah, one of us would be home or they'd be in daycare for long daycare. Um, So they'd be dropped off at sort of 6.30 in the morning, do a 10 hour shift, come back and pick them up. Um, oh my god! And on extended <laughs> trades, yeah, it's, it was manic, it's, and it but was. that's that was the turning point, right? There was because with retail, you work stupid hours at Christmas, and when you've got young kids, that's really hard. So like Christmas Eve, I worked so late on Christmas Eve that year that I had to ask my mum to pick up my kids from daycare because I didn't finish in time to pick them up, right. and. To me, that was the big turning point. It was like, I, that's just sad when you can't that's pick up your own kids. That's just taking it a step too far. Yeah, yeah, on Christmas Eve because you don't finish till 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. And then you're back at work by 6 a.m. Boxing Day to set up for Boxing Day sales. And yeah, I was like, no, I just, no, no. I don't want to do that with a young family. I don't want to do that. Right. So what did you do? So you left. Did you leave with another job in mind or you just left and thought you'd start looking or how, how did it all work? Yeah, I accidentally had another job in mind. So <laughs> hubby, who was still hubby then. you did. Yeah. Had um. <laughs> decided that he wanted to expand his skill set. And he'd been along to the Cert Foreign Training and Assessment um, just off his own back in the evenings. And um, he'd hated it. He's a real introvert. He doesn't do people. He likes people less than I do. So I don't know why he decided that training would be the thing (laughs) for him. But he wanted to go and I supported him. Um, But he hated it. But he was talking to the guy who was running the course at the time and he went, actually, my wife would be really good at this. And they went, well, how good? We're looking for a trainer. And he went, no, really good. So I went along for a chat and I didn't have any qualifications and they went, well, we'll pay for you to come to the course and then we'll give you work afterwards as a trainer. Um, right. So that's that's just how that happened. Seems pretty attractive. Yeah. And, of course, doing the course gave you the flexibility in the hours, I guess, as well, did it? Yeah, that's training. it. It wasn't nine to five as such. No, there was some some to his whole day. So we'd do two weeks on, which was like nine till four training, and then the second week we'd do some like late nights. But it was nothing like I'd been working in retail, and it was mostly daytime hours. So, you know, coming from, from stupidly long retail hours and sometimes overnight shifts, it – 
nine till it four. It seemed like a breeze. Yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> it was super easy. So tell me about that job then. How long did you last? And um, So I was there. So interesting enough then, my husband and I have an interesting mixed career. So he ended up getting a job then with them as well. Um, so right. he'd done a couple of other things in between. He left Kmart as well and had kind of done a stint at Coles and a stint at trade link and had done a bunch of stuff trying to find what his, his niche was. Yeah. Um, and then had ended up at this same training company as well um, in the office. And right. I'd kind of worked my way up then as well and was their main face-to-face trainer. I was taking over all of their training. Um, and then he and I got divorced and it's quite hard. <laughs> a bit awkward, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, he and I, most of the way through have been really amicable, but oh, I well think it, the company found it more awkward than we did. And yeah. so they made the decision that we could no longer work together. They didn't want us working at the same time or in the same place. Um, right. And so that just made it really, really difficult. Um, and so in the end he left and decided to go elsewhere. And then I moved into a national training manager role for them and was in charge of developing all of their content and managing all of their trainers. Wow, um, Sam. I know, right? I just, <laughs> Jules, it just happens. I don't know. I just end up in I these spots. I can totally see why. I only need to talk to you for a minute and I'd be like, yep, I'd like you to work for me as well. So right? I can see why. <laughs> so that's, that's what happened. And, um, but the, so, so the, how, hang on a minute though. What sort of training was it? Like, how do you come up with all the content for training? What was it about customer service? No. So it was about training and development. So training about training, which is that real right. like inception level oh, training stuff. training the trainer kind train of stuff. Train the trainer. Yeah. Oh, right. So I'd had the experience over the past year or so doing the training. Um, and the one thing that I have been able to do well, my mother always says I can talk underwater with a mouthful of marbles <laughs> is I can normally pick something up fairly quick and regurgitate it back. Um, right. So I learn fairly fast and that's yep. really helpful when you're building content because I can research and learn things and pick them up fairly quick and regurgitate them back. So that was a skill that became really handy for building training. And then when we developed new courses, I just had to go away and, and take the course and learn the stuff and come back and build the material. Right. Wow. And so how long did you do this for? So I did this for about two years. Um, and then in the meantime, I fell in love again, like you do. You get over a divorce and Did you, you give it love. a little longer than six weeks this I time did. before you got married? I did. Well, the world kind of forced us to anyway. So um, I started- Oh, so this was in pandemic. No, before that, no. I started dating a guy who was in the defense force and we started dating right. in the January and by February, he'd been sent away for training and oh, by- wow. Uh, April, I had a five week overseas trip booked anyway. And then by the time I got back in May, we had one weekend together and then he got deployed to Afghanistan for nine months. Wow, Sam. Yeah. So it was really full on. Um, and we could have just called it like we'd only been dating four months and we'd only seen each <laughs> and other. And off that two months of it, yes, yeah, you'd been away. We'd been apart. So we'd really like there was nothing in it. But I said to him, I really like you and I'm willing to wait for you. Um, it was the smart, honestly, it was actually really good for me because it meant I didn't do anything stupid. Didn't throw myself into another relationship or yeah. because I was kind of just waiting for this guy to come back. And we talked as much as we could almost every day and we sent packages and posts. And it was like a good old Beautiful. fashioned relationship because we had yeah. to spend nine months courting via mail and via the phone. Um, and it was lovely. And we built a really solid relationship 
And when he came back, um, unfortunately he was medivaced back. He was injured, but when he came back, um, I was there for him and, and that's how that all started. But, and was he, was, was it a, an injury that he was able to recover from? Um, uh, mostly yes. He's got a little bit of long-term damage in his arm. It doesn't work the way it used to, but he's a, right. yeah, oh, that's he's good. But mostly does that, whole. So does that mean he stopped being in the army after that? No. No, he, Air so Force and no, Air he's Force. still active. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you've got a partner who's, uh, I mean, is he, I don't know. Look, I grew up as an army brat, so we all lived with dad, but my dad was a doctor um, on army bases and would move around. What, what's what's the reality of your life if he's in um, the Air Force? Do you live together and he's just on an army base or an RAF base or how does it work? Yeah, so we RAF. <laughs> yeah, RAAF. Add an yeah, extra sorry. A in. <laughs> That's the Britain you coming through. Yeah, I know. Um, we've been really lucky. So we're used to doing long distance anyway. That at the beginning of our relationship was all long distance. And when we got together, obviously I came with a bunch of baggage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was young. I was still young. I was what, 25, 26. I think when I met him and he was 22. And, um, I said, look, I'm divorced. I've got two kids. Like this is my life. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Like, eh. um, if you see my face on camera right now, it's like, eh. um, <laughs> come with all this stuff and like if that's not okay with you I understand but if that's not okay we shouldn't date no like if you're not willing to accept that that's my life and at that point as well so we skipped a step because my life is messy Jules um (laughs) at about the same time then I had left this training company I'd started my own business I got fed up with working for someone else and I decided to develop my own consulting company and hired my ex-husband, who was my sort of chief operating officer. So wow. I did, he and oh, I worked together. That's a real testament together. to how well you managed to yeah. make it work. And it's perfect in some ways because presumably then you can juggle the kids yes. still. Yeah. So we co-parented well. still and we worked together and we worked around each other. And it meant that he could sort of do all the behind the scenes operations of the business. And I did all the front facing networking, client development, content development, that sort of thing. Um, right. But that's part of the baggage then. I had to say to this new guy, ah, oh, and oh, I see and. my ex-husband every day. <laughs> you know. Not, so, you don't mind. Yeah, all credit to him. He kind of just took it on board and went, oh. okay, I guess that's how it is. Um, what so, a great guy. Yeah, he really is. So when he came back from Afghan, Afghan, um, he was luckily based here, locally in Queensland for a while. And then he changed role and he went to Adelaide for a year and a bit. Um, and then he did some more training and he was away for another time, but we just do long distance. And I'd had to be really upfront to him, start with and go, look, I've got two kids and an ex-husband. I can't move Yeah, because I I share custody. I can't just up and move around Australia. So if you get moved, I have to stay here and there's nothing I can do about that. It's not fair on the kids to, for me to leave them or to take them with me. Um, I have to live here. So yeah, we've done a couple of stints where he's been away for almost a year and, um, uh, we f- I fly down when I can, sort of once every six weeks or so, and we spend the weekend together. But yeah, we've done a we've done a fair bit of long distance. Wow. Well, I imagine that it's incredibly romantic then when you do see each other because it's absence makes the heart go fonder and you're not seeing a lot of each other. So That's it. it must be like a perpetual romance, which sounds fabulous. Now, I want to wind back though to you starting your own business because really She's the Boss is very much about yes. women running their own businesses. Um, you just casually said, I decided to leave the training company and start my own. But did something happen that made you 
decide uh, that you wanted to try it on your own? By that point, I was working. I'd got back to a point where I'd had a lot of responsibility and was working silly hours. I seem to get myself in these positions. <laughs> I say yes to lots of things and then take on too much. Um, and that's a lesson that's carried over with me into my business as well. Say yes to too many things and take on too much. Yeah. Um, so I, and I'd got a little bit jaded. I was like, what? I, you know, I'm doing all of this for, I wasn't Boring. poorly paid, but I wasn't, I wasn't well paid. And, um, you know what it's like? You're pouring your heart and soul into someone else's business. It's a bit like renting, right? You pour your money into someone else's house. So I was pouring my heart well, and soul into someone else's business. I think you have to have business. a bit of an entrepreneurial streak through you to, to recognize that because yeah. I remember clearly working for a big agency at one stage and thinking, hang on, they're charging me out at $235 an hour and I'm, they're paying me about $40 an hour. Yep. Maybe I should be doing this myself. And it was that real kind of moment. And I don't know that everybody gets it. I think that you do have to have that entrepreneurial streak or something in you where you start going, well, I could do this myself. Yeah, that's fair. I think a lot of people just get jaded and fed up and angry, but they don't. And they just move jobs and they go to another job until it gets boring. And then they go yeah. to another job until it gets boring. And so it goes on. Yeah. So, so what, so was, I mean, was there a big argument? Was there something that happened one evening when you weren't there for the kids or was no. it more gradual than that? No, just a gradual thing. It was just a, like, we, I started do, doing some research behind the scenes and, um, in, in the transition from retail to training anyway, I'd taken some other courses on the side and I'd been along and done um, a cert for in coaching and had realized that coaching wasn't really for me, but there were some interesting skills in there that I kind of applied to the things that I do. So it was kind of a long-term thing. It happened realistically over years. Like I'd love to say there was just this life-changing moment and I jumped off a cliff, but there really wasn't. Um, it was one of these things I kind of been pottering away in the background and I just got to the tipping point where I went, I'm yeah. done. Like enough's enough. Um, and, and, what, and and what was it that made you think about bringing the ex on board? I mean, were you really good friends still anyway? Or yeah. is he just brilliant at back end stuff? Or No, we were pretty close and amicable anyway. And we'd had an inch. Life is interesting, Jules. When we separated, <laughs> I left him. So I, we decided the best course was to leave the kids in the most stable environment possible. So the kids yep. stayed in the house with him and, and I moved out. And then we did. Right. So for shared custody, I went back to his house and looked after the kids at his house. And right. so I was there every second day anyway. So while I was pottering around in the background thinking about building a business, I was at his house every second day anyway. We were talking about this sort of stuff. Okay. He's got that entrepreneurial streak as well. We'd run an e-commerce business years ago together. Um, so it was just kind of a thing that we were talking about at the same time. Okay. And decided to take the leap. And so what did it become? A big trader? Because I don't think that you did another shift after that, didn't you, into yeah. the so, online courses. So talk to me about what what – when you first set it up, what was it? So originally it's kind of started as consulting and business coaching, um, having between us had years of experience in both retail and training companies and all sorts of things. Um, and, and a bunch of training experience, we kind of went, well, we can teach people this stuff. Um, yeah. and so we started just doing, I just did coaching outside of hours or consulting outside of hours. And then when we did the shift, we decided we'd start running proper face-to-face classes. Um, and what we did was we auspiced through another training company. So in Australia here, um, you can go through what's called a registered RTO, which is a bit like yeah. a TAFE. Um, but if you're not one, you can sort of lease their services. So you can pay them a fee and that allows you to facilitate some of their course material okay. or their content. Big complicated system. That's the short version. So rather we decided to start with that we'd sort of um, auspice to this RTO. We're paying them some fees and we'd deliver some content and run our own training courses that way. And then again, I got to a tipping point where I'm like, I'm paying these people so much of my money to run their stuff. This is stupid. 
like it's not financially viable. So we decided to, we would become our own registered training organization. So we went through the whole compliance process and we got audited and we got accredited and we became our own RTO. Now um, that's quite big because you've made it sound like it's a few bits of paper, but it's a, it's, it's a, a mozza of stuff that you have to do in order to get that qualification, isn't it? It's huge. Yeah. It's a big process and there's a big financial investment. Um, you know, it's about 10K yeah. up front and that's just to get audited. And if you fail the audit, that money doesn't come back. Like right. if you're either approved or you're but not. you did it. Yeah, yeah, we got so we got approved, and we had our own RTO, and um, and that's where we were. And then I had, I got married, and I had two more babies. Oh, and, I didn't know you had four. Yes, yeah, so four babies, and so then okay. I was trying to manage a compliance-based business and look after tiny, tiny humans, and it's just, yes, it's not worth much. the stress or the drama, Jules. It's really not. And I still remember to this day. Um, baby number three, Gus, he was five days old and he was min- he was so tiny. Um, <laughs> and I had him in one arm and with the other arm, I'm trying to type out a compliance report because we'd been audited and our audit report was due like day after tomorrow. And if I didn't get the report in, we'd lose, we'd Everything. lose our accreditation. So I had to finish the work and it had to go in. And, um, as an RTO, you become sort of legally responsible. You as a person, that responsibility carries over to you legally as well. So the all sorts of ramifications could have happened if we didn't do this the way it was supposed to be done. And so I was so stressed, like trying to breastfeed a baby with one arm and yeah. type with the other. And I just went, this is ridiculous. Something has to change. And I decided at that point that I needed to close the RTO and we needed to get out. Wow, big decision, but the right decision, I would have thought, because, you yeah. know, how, how old are your kids now, by the way? Uh, so now I have, okay, my kids are at, uh, 13, yeah, 12, no, no, more? 13, 12, <laughs> 4 and 2. Right. Yeah. Wow, amazing. Gosh, that's, I mean, even even at those ages, 4 and 2, I remember um, it's quite a lot to juggle everything as it is. So what do you do when you stop an, when you close down an RTO? What did you decide to do then? Well, I went back to the stuff I was good at doing, which is building training. Um, I it was too hard for me at that time to do lots of facilitating because I had young babies and just being out all day and delivering was hard work. But for the years then I'd been a building businesses and B building training, um, developing course material, developing structures, developing content. And who were your clients? Who were you doing this for? Was it government? Was it councils? Was it private organizations? No, not to start with. So when I started networking, it was just private organizations. So I went on, I'd been a member of BNI over the years. So I did my good old BNI networking and I went to some luncheons and stuff. And I, um, I just started talking to small business owners and then, um, like you, you know, you start networking online and you talk in some groups and you do some things and, um, which all makes it sound very easy, but it was a long process. <laughs> uh, yes. It was a long process for me as well. Yeah. And so I, my first clients were private, private businesses who had lots of stuff, but didn't know how to make it work. They had lots of documents or they had lots of material or they had lots of knowledge in an owner's head and they wanted to put that out in the world somehow. And so I, I just sort of just freelance for projects and go, oh, look, hang on, we can improve this. Like, give me all of your documentation. Here, I fixed it. Have it all back. Um, wow. And so I so do that. really you're good at, <clears throat> because there's a lot of, there's be a lot of women out there that are, in fact, I'm coaching a couple of women at the moment where I'm going, you need to get together a little online course and, you know, have that as your funnel, but, all, you know, because it is the beginning of a funnel as well. You're showing yeah. people your expertise, but a lot of people don't know where to even start with it and how's, and also the other thing, and I get that from doing PR as well as people don't understand how much they 
know about something that no one else knows. Yes. You know, they all assume that, but like, that's really obvious. Everyone knows that. And it's like, they don't. <laughs> they don't um, know your industry. They don't. No. And honestly, you and I there are dealing with exactly the same problems, which is that people don't recognize their own knowledge. We, I call it the curse no. of knowledge, which is that because you know it, you just assume that everyone else knows it. And they don't. That's right. They really don't. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so, um, I don't know, give me some, give me a, a few tips. We'll move on in a minute to some other questions, but, um, what have been some of the learnings or what are some of the things that you know that women should, shouldn't do people who want to start courses should, shouldn't do. I don't normally ask this, but I'm interested. <laughs> oh, there's been a lot of learnings over the year. Um, <laughs> and I know I'm putting you on the spot cause I'm sure there's a hell of a lot more, but are there some sort of obvious ones that people can, should think about before they get started? Yeah. So there's a couple of things. One is that, you know, too much. Um, so, and it's probably the same for you, right? You can't, I'm sure you have clients who know so much that you can't put it all out at the same time because there's no, no clear message. There's no one clear objective from a PR sense. It's all too much, too fast. It's all about keeping it simple. One right. thing per per media release is what I always say. So I guess for you, it's breaking it into just one simple thing per lesson. Exactly. Nancy, you can do my job. This is perfect. <laughs> yes, Jules, nail on the head. One thing. Um, we try to do one clear objective per course and then inside that each little lesson should have one clear thing. Um, so that's the biggest thing. And I see it a lot and it's partly because I think over the years, especially in the online world, we've been taught that we have to over deliver. You have to give value. You write blogs, you do podcasts, you deliver like value, 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 right? We give, 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 give. Yeah. And so whenever, and I find women are the worst at this. The men I work with aren't so bad. Um, Best, but yes. (laughs) Yeah. The the women who they just want to give everything they've got. They're like, oh, they've bought my $27 course, $100 course. I have to give them all of my knowledge. I'm like, you don't. You really don't. And you You can't. just give them $27 worth. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't fit in the course. So one clear objective per course. And then one clear point, like you, right? One point per media release, one clear point per lesson. It does not all fit in one course. It cannot all fit in one course. And your content is worth so much more than you realize it is. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. All right. So now along the way, and now I ask this of everyone because I'm just interested and I do think that we don't, my whole mission is to make women more visible. And I think there's a lot of times that we don't necessarily talk about the women that have helped us. So my question is, are there any women that have helped you along the way um, that you can tell us a story of how they helped you and maybe do a shout out about them? There's lots. Some of my work is NDA covered, so I don't know how many shout outs I can do. No, 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 Um, no, no. And if you don't want to do a name, it doesn't matter. But I'm just interested to know that there are women who've been helping you along the way. I, so we mentioned earlier in the piece, my second mum, Jackie. So she was my very first manager back at Kmart. She gave me my first part-time job outside of casual hours. And interestingly enough, I'm still working with her now on projects. So she left the company too, and we went away and did our own things. And then she was started working for someone else. And they've since hired me and my services to develop I've developed, I don't know, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars worth of course material for them over the years. But that's right. still because of my relationship with Jackie with and and the support that she's given me across the years. And yeah, just oh, that's all great. of the, her belief in me from the very beginning, even when she told me I shouldn't marry the guy, which I probably shouldn't have done. Um, <laughs> to, Except to, right you wouldn't, through have, to wouldn't have had two of your beautiful oh, children. Oh, no, I know. Life wouldn't have worked out the way it did. And I don't regret it. Not really. It's just a joke. But um, yeah, she's just been there the whole time, the whole, whole time, even oh, to this 
day we work fabulous. together. So she's a beautiful human being that I wouldn't be where I am without her. Um, I also have an incredible group of mastermind women. So about four years ago, four and a half years ago, I just went, I miss connection. I feel really lonely. And I threw it out on my Facebook page Which and it was like, not a paid product. I'm like, I just want people to talk to just people who are yeah. like me. Um, and I, it, I got overwhelmed with like, I don't know, about 50 people said they wanted to do it. And I was like, okay, that's too many. Um, and so right. I kind of just sent out this small questionnaire and went, no judgment, just answer some questions. I'm just trying to find people who are like me. And I ended up with a group of about 10 ladies and we're still together four and a half years later. And we talk almost daily, but we mastermind once every two weeks. And oh, I'm the most beautiful group of women I've ever met. And I what love a them fantastic. dearly. Well, I mean, that's why I set up She's the Boss, because I am so aware of the loneliness and the yeah. isolation. And you definitely need to have that posse of ideally women around you um, that that will, that you know, you can share problems and, and successes and all the rest of it with them. And She's so the Boss is fabulous. great at that. Like I've seen even in the Facebook group, like there's so many problems we face that other people don't get like if they've got if you've got a job and they're working for for someone else it's just different the stress yeah. is different the problems are different the juggle is different not saying they're not busy not saying they're not juggling but it's no, just different um and having other people who just get you is so valuable totally a hundred percent i i couldn't agree with you more um okay now a little I don't know whether the, I don't know whether we've answered this already, but I'll ask it anyway. Along as you've been running, let's say this business or this business and the last business, have you had any moments where <laughs> I'm laughing as I am because I'm sure you have? Um, have you had any moments where you've kind of gone, "Oh my God, what are we going to do?" Like disaster, disaster, and and yet you look back on it now and go, "Well, I wouldn't have taken a completely different direction if it wasn't for that happening." Um, so it was a bit of a blessing of in disguise, them? even though it was a disaster. <laughs> all of yes. those moments. <laughs> um, there's many a time I've been on key seek ones? and gone, yeah. "Oh, what's available in the job market at the moment?" No, um, look, closing the RTO was a really big one. Like at the time, yeah, it was so overwhelming and so stressful, and it felt like a failure. Like I was closing this thing that we'd invested tens of thousands of dollars into starting, um, and I'd really only been running like a year and a half or two years by that point. And I just ask, it. is that not something you could have sold? Feasibly, at the time, I just don't think I had the mental capacity yeah, to even be yeah, bothered. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Yes, possibly could have done, but it, I just I was at a point where I'm like, I just I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to think yeah. about it. I can't. I don't want the compliance stress, and the least complicated compliance thing to do was to close it um, right. because it just meant that everything just got finished and handed away and it was no longer my issue at all. Whereas if the, if the RTA was still legally running, all of the clients, all of the compliance that was backdated still belonged to me. So right. you had to keep a lot of legislation things for seven years. So if they'd bought it off me, they were, com they were responsible from there forward, but I was still responsible right. for seven years. Yeah, there no, backwards. Okay. Um, and so, and, and in what way was it a disaster and then a blessing? So it felt like a disaster because, I mean, I think closing a business at any point probably feels yeah, like a disaster. It, it, it feels like a failure. Um, it really does. It's a blessing because I learned a lot about what I don't want to do. <laughs> We're very clear now about what I don't want to do. Um, but it taught me resilience. It taught me that I can start again. And there's been yeah. plenty of points where I feel like I started again. But, you know, I started again from scratch. I, you know, built a new brand name. I built a new website. I started networking again and I started it again. And if I can do that once, if anything happens again, I'm pretty sure I could probably do that again. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, one of the reasons I love women running their own businesses is for that reason. The worst thing that can happen is you're going to have to go out and look for a job, which is probably what you were doing before you thought of starting yeah. a business as well. Um, okay. Now you have an incredibly big family and busy life, I'm guessing. How do you do the juggle? Just because there are so many women that burn out, how are you going to avoid that? Or how are you avoiding that? Yeah. And I don't always do that well. I'll be real honest upfront. Um, I've, you know, I've, there's been plenty of points the last couple of years where I burned the candle at both ends trying to make it all fit. Um, right. Daycare is a godsend. Could not yes, do anything is. done without daycare. Um, and I felt really guilty about that, especially when they were little, putting them into daycare. So I got back not just some time for the business, but then I put them in an extra day and I had a day for me, a day Good where I woman. didn't book client sessions, but I had an extra day. Um, sometimes I was admin and I was doing all the back end stuff. And, but and sometimes it, it was probably washing and cleaning the kitchen. And, and sometimes and I was getting those. my nails done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just yeah. a day for me. And that, that's smart. I, yeah. Mum guilt plays big on you when you do that thing. Yeah, but I know. that's a savior. I couldn't do it without daycare um, and, and care. My ex husband currently lives across the street from me. So, like, <laughs> even just before I got on the call to you this morning, he'd given me a ring because the kids had messaged him. One of them had said they had a dodgy stomach and one of them had a headache and they didn't want to go to school or whatever. So, we'd had a quick chat on the phone and I'd said to him, look, I'm in meetings all day. I just can't do it. He's like, that's cool. I've contacted the school. I'm on support. If anyone they need him, I'll go get them. Um, so having oh, what a great relationship yeah, you have. Having and, a supportive and, the new, relationship. and your new hubby obviously has no problem with it either. No, they talk more than he and I do, honestly. Like if they, if he comes over, we don't see each other any often anymore because funnily enough, when you live across the street and the kids are 12 <laughs> and 13, they just walk. They just run, that's yeah. right. So I don't I don't have to see him, but um, when he does come over to drop something off, yeah, X and hubby just have a big chat about all things man, nerd, computer games and Marvel <laughs> characters and whatever else and I don't get a say, so it's fine. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So, all right. People, oh, yeah, Jules, people are the one thing that stopped me from burning out and overwhelming myself is the support of other people and – that's and it, I'm not great at accepting support and I'm not always great at asking for it but like if I didn't use it I'd I'd have burned out by now yeah you'd be probably huddled up in a ball somewhere in the corner of a room yeah. all right um second last question is apropos of nothing is there a quirky fact that most people don't know about you that you'd be up for sharing um I'm the world's laziest gardener, is what I say. We have a super productive (laughs) garden. What does that mean? (laughs) Well, we have a super productive garden. It pumps out all sorts of fruits and veggies. And I get people saying, oh, my God, you're so good at gardening. What do you do? And I say, honestly, I put a seed in the ground. And if it grows, it grows. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But like I put zero effort into that. The other thing which I was just talking to someone about this morning is I haven't brushed my hair for six months. Um, My hair doesn't knot. Funnily enough, wow. and someone was saying something about a hairbrush, and I said, "I don't own one." Then, what do you mean you don't own one? I'm like, I don't own one. Just doesn't. I've never me owned one. Uh, yeah, I have in or the it's past. Just six months. Daughter stole one. Are you doing one. an experiment? No, it just okay. doesn't need it. It just doesn't. It doesn't. No, yeah. it doesn't do things. I don't know. Don't yeah. own a hairbrush. Amazing. Very quirky. <laughs> um, okay. Last but not least is about apps on your phone. Only because I use my phone for business all the time. Some people do. Some people don't. Yeah. Do you is first the question. And if so, do you have any clever business apps or personal apps that you want to share with us? I don't use it a lot for business on my phone. Um, social media, yes. But most of my content development is too big. The files are too big. The platforms are too big to deal with on a phone. So most of the doing work is on a computer. Um, But I do use a platform called Notion, which I use as my second brain. This is a big concept we can talk about another time. Um, But Notion has an app and I do a lot of work in the Notion app and it runs my second brain, which is the space that organizes all of my thoughts and systems and processes and everything is in Notion. So so what is it like a notebook kind of a 
put yeah, your thoughts down of, and then like categorize a, them. It's almost like a blank website. It's, it does everything you want it to do. So you can create pages with tables and lists and you can drag links wow. and all sorts of bits and pieces, <coughs> excuse me, in. Well, um, I'm going to go and have a little look. Yeah, it stores everything. Thank you very much. Well, Sam, you are amazing. I can't wait. We're going to have you talking at the learning table. For anyone who's listening, I don't know when this is, but for She's the Boss, we do learning table events where we get experts in. And Sam is going to be our expert a little bit later this year. I love everything that you're doing, Sam, and I love hearing your story. You're just great. So thank you so much. Now, if anyone wants to get hold of you to do a course or to have a chat with you about anything, what's the best way to do that? So there aren't a lot of sandwiches on the internet. I'm fairly lucky that my name is <laughs> uncommon. Um, so yes. you'll find me at Sam Winch on Instagram and Facebook and all those sorts of places. I spend far too much time on social media, so I'll probably be there. Um, or the website is just samwinch.com.au. Super easy to find. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I can't wait to share this. Thank you for having me and my very long life story. <laughs> it wasn't long at all. It was fabulous. Thank you. That was I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.